0: Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. My guest today is Dr. Frederick Kasinga. He is the author of the book, I Do Until I Don't, A Surgeon's Story of Divorce and Healing. Amazon Review names the book as a how-to handbook that collects so many experiences about marriage and divorce, and the tale he tells is pretty interesting. It goes from happiness to tragedy and then back to happiness. Dr. Tasinga is an award-winning board-certified bariatric surgeon who's passionate about helping individuals achieve a healthier lifestyle. In his book, I Do Until I Don't, A Surgeon's Story of Divorce and Healing, he shares his own story and hard-earned insights into divorce. Welcome, Dr. Tasinga. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. So, Dr. Stasinka, what is your story and, and, and how did, what led you to re- to write the book? Yeah, I have an interesting story. I think it's
1: typical of many people. You know, I was in my training to become a surgeon and I found a girl that I fell in love with and I thought I would be smart, you know, before I got married and I talked to her a lot about marriage and her views on marriage and She very much assured me that she comes from a loving family that she would never consider divorce. It wouldn't even be an option. And I came from a similar kind of family. So we proceeded to get married and we had two kids. The kids were three and four years old. And my wife was a a nice, young, pretty, in shape girl who was, uh, you know, very busy doing a lot of different things, had stopped working. And she, one day, went to visit one of her friends in Florida, came back and said, you know, the strangest things, I miss the kids, but I didn't miss you. And I was shocked by all of that. Was, you know, well, we better go to some marriage counseling. And she didn't want to go. She said, I just kind of feel numb. I'm not interested. And what I didn't realize at the time is that she had met up with like an old boyfriend and and they kind of were reminiscing and giving each other presents and things like that. And I was kind of fighting a um an uphill battle at that point. I didn't realize any of that, and you know I'm the kind of guy that's like, Well, you know let's fix this. if you know if something's missing, let's solve it. You know I'd just been working hard, not like drinking a lot of alcohol or beating her or anything like that. so I was kind of confused by that. you know, I thought, well, this is how marriage goes. you know there's ups and downs, but you know divorce isn't gonna be an option, so we spent. About four years with me um, taking her to marriage counseling. We flew out to Colorado and did a week of counseling, very intensive. And then she just said she doesn't want to go to counseling anymore. She said, I only went to counseling so people wouldn't think I didn't try. And so it's one of the things I talk about in my book is that you never force your wife to go to marriage counseling. You know, marriage counseling is for people that are both like stubbornly committed to the same idea, which is staying married. And, you know, I started doing things that I thought she wanted me to do. I bought her three condos on the beach in Mexico because she thought they were great investments and I started to build an in-ground pool in the backyard because she wanted it. I bought her a brand new Hummer because she suddenly decided she wanted a Hummer. They were all the rage back then. And what I also realized is that you can't buy things for your wife and make her like you again. There's no point to that. And it just makes your divorce more complicated. Then one day she just filed for divorce after about four and a half years of leaving her little notes and buying her little presents and trying to clean the house extra well and be extra helpful. None of it matters when your wife just doesn't like you anymore. I think what I learned through that is it's much better to, if you have your wife come home and say that to you one day that she feels numb and doesn't like you anymore, it would have been much better to say, wow, that's really terrible. I'm going to give you like two weeks to reconsider that and if not we're going to get divorced and i'm going to file myself because you can't make somebody love you and i think there's some songs written about that so anyway after yeah, the divorce started, just a few. <laughs> one of her other complaints was that i was really just much too um, materialistic and too into money and she likes to just have her toes in the sand and and walk around on the beach and look at ants but her first overture from her lawyer was she wanted 15000 a month, a million dollars in cash, and our main home. We had a lake house, a main home, and then three condos in Mexico. So, you know, the divorce kind of just spun out of control from there, went on for four and a half years. She canceled our divorce halfway through, right before trial, because I didn't have a counter-petition on file. So that's another thing that I encourage people to do, is get a counter-petition. And usually, the guy that doesn't want the divorce, which is me, is just endlessly you know, being in love with this woman that's leading them. But you, know, you have to be you have to be smart while this is happening and do things like have a counter petition. And then uh, we eventually got divorced and she ended up getting about half of what she started out wanting. So another thing I talk about is, you know, the first deal is the best deal. And you ought to kind of wrap this thing up as quick as you can. And the guy that she had left me for, which I didn't really realize was happening, You know, the guys don't want to stay around and watch, like, a a woman get really diabolical on her non-cheating husband that she just kind of of got bored of because they start to worry it's going to happen to them next. So that guy ended up, you know, not closing the deal with her. So now she's single.
0: Well, you said so much there that I'd like to comment on. I mean I think just to go back to the to the first thing that and I think the largest point I should to think of what you're saying is that once someone's made a decision they don't really want to get married, there's nothing the other person can do. Yeah, once they've made a decision that they don't want to stay married.
1: Yeah, they have to see the value in it and if they don't, then you can't convince them at that point.
0: Because the one thing that you say, I mean, I think that if she had said, I went to marriage counseling to see if I was really sure, is different than just to show other people. Right. So that, I mean, that is a long time of your life trying to convince someone who really knows she's never going to change.
1: Her boyfriend at the time, I did, I did finally figure out it was her boyfriend. He called me and he said, you know, I know the reasons that she's divorcing you, and they're not good reasons. You know, it's like, I feel alone in this marriage. You don't communicate well. Well, you know, probably half the women in the world have marriages like that where they kind of complain to their girlfriends, but they don't don't leave their surgeon husbands that are letting them stay at home and raise the kids for reasons like that. They leave their surgeon husbands if they're, like, cheating on them repeatedly with their secretary or something.
0: Well, it sounds like she didn't communicate to you in time what her problems were in the marriage, that you, I mean, just in your story, I mean, you know, we don't have her on the phone, so she might have told tell a very different story, but from the way you tell it, it seems like if she had come to you and said, you know, we need to spend Fred, some more time together, we need to go out, can we go on vacation together, I feel alone and distant from you, and I'd really like to change that, you would have done that.
1: It's interesting yeah. because when you get told all these things, but then you also get told on top of it that it's too late to change it. That's really like, you almost feel like you got gypped. Like you feel like, if I would have really known this, and then it turns into, well, I told you, you know, and you should have realized. And But when you, so when you do realize it, it's too late.
0: Yeah. And I think that in my observation of more than 30 years of working with divorcing couples, is that really when marriages break down, they usually break down over a failure of communication. And here what you're describing is her thinking, at least that she's communicated this to you, but you're not understanding what she's saying and the seriousness of whatever her needs were at the time. So either she failed to communicate to you how desperately she felt what she felt in a way that you realized the seriousness of it in order to address it. And and many times, I mean, does that feel accurate to you? Yeah.
1: No, I think I think it definitely does.
0: And I think that um, many times people come to me and they'll say, you know, I knew, I know a marriage wasn't great, but I didn't think it was that bad. And when the other spouse has chosen to end the marriage. And I think that that is a really common, sadly common problem that people don't know how to communicate their needs to each other before they just totally check out. And that marriage counselors often say to me, people come to marriage counseling too late. You know, when one party has already decided they can't do it, and there's no going back. And if people came earlier on instead of thinking, you know, what this is, this is I don't know somehow shameful or embarrassing that we're in marriage counseling, that many marriages might survive. What do you think about that?
1: Well, it, that that's such an interesting point because I went to a marriage counselor. Her name was Michelle Weiner Davis, and she wrote a book called Divorce Busting. And she told me when she started to learn how to be a marriage counselor. The, the person that was training her said, look at these two. They can't stand each other. And, you know, we just have to help them to figure out a way to amicably divorce. And she started to realize that everybody that comes to marriage counseling is usually at that point. They don't even want to sit next to each other on the couch. And she points out that just as weird as it is that you can go from marrying somebody and wanting to, like, smell their socks and, and help them, you know, <laughs> get in and out of the car. And you can get to the point where you don't even want to sit on the same couch with them. And her point is, as long as there's not repeated infidelity or beating, you can make it back along that continuum and go from not liking somebody all the way back to being madly in love with them. And so you know, when you think about it, you're already married to this person. You already have kids with this person. You're already financially enmeshed with this person. If there was a way to get back to being madly in love with them, once you pick that rather than picking like a brand new person with whatever new sets of problems they're going to give you, then you're going to have a wonderful time for three years, but then you're going to get to the same point with two or three other weird problems to deal with. So she was a very interesting person to go listen to because she didn't take it as such a like, she wasn't so surprised that people were coming to her and they didn't like each other anymore. She very much expected that.
0: I'm Catherine Miller. You're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX, 1460 AM in Westchester County, every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. We're also available as a podcast on all popular podcast apps, and as well as on the podcast website, DivorceDialogues.com. And I'm talking today to Dr. Frederick Tasinga, who wrote the book, I Do Until I Don't, A Surgeon's Story of Divorce and Healing, so in your book, Dr. Tasinga, you have a divorce checklist. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, I think that my two really main points are that you need to get a prenup before you get married if you're going to try to do it again. And the reason is that because when people get married, 55% of them get divorced, 40% gutted out, and 5% are blissfully happy. So you won't get an operation that you didn't need with a 55% failure rate. So you have to be smart about it and get a prenup. I think the second thing is if your wife comes home and tells you that she's numb and she's tired of being married to you, then instead of buying her things and begging her, you should say, I don't want to be divorced. I still love you. I'm going to give you two weeks to think about this. And if you still feel the same way and you don't want to go to marriage counseling, then we're going to get divorced. And it's a way to more reasonably shock your mate into more quickly evaluating the relative merits of their decision to leave the marriage rather than drag it on for four and a half years like I did, you know, whimpering and begging. It doesn't make you attractive to the other person at all. So those are the two main key points. But then I have a whole other checklist of what to do if you find yourself in the middle of a divorce that's starting.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I can't imagine people picking up your book. Who's going to pick up your book? Either someone who's thinking about leaving their marriage or someone who's just found out that their spouse wants to leave the marriage. So the two weeks, I completely agree about the prenup, and let's come back to that conversation because I think that they can be set up in order to support the marriage, not just sort of in a cynical planning for the end, although I agree with you on those statistics. But so for people who are already too late for the two-week thing. What should they do? So if you
1: find yourself stuck in the divorce, what you need to do is, you know, for a lot of guys, when I went to my first divorce attorney, he told me to get a vasectomy. And I thought that was like the craziest thing to tell me. I already had my children. That turns out to be a very good piece of advice if you're not trying to grow your family because you're going to find yourself back in the dating world. Additionally, you want to not spend any money at all unless the judge puts it in an order. I was told by my attorneys to pay for this and pay for that, so I just did. But what happened by doing that is I got charged with marital dissipation and I had to spend $35,000 on a forensic accountant to disprove what I was told to do by my lawyers. And when I said, well, you told me I was supposed to do it, what it really turned out was there was not a specific court order from a judge spelling it out. If there had been, I could have saved myself a lot of Agony and anguish. I think another thing is go to cash as much as you can. I had my bank accounts emptied by my lawyers when they were looking for money. Leave the courthouse as quick as you can after everything that happens at that courthouse because nothing good happens by standing around inside the courthouse. I actually had the judge walk out and start talking to my attorneys in the hallway, and my wife was sitting there too, and he said, They said to the judge, hey, what do you think this looks like in the end game? You know, And the judge said, I don't know, probably a 60-40 split of assets and split the income evenly. And we had almost completed a settlement agreement where my wife was going to get 50% of the assets and 50% of the money. And when she heard the judge say 60%, she fired both of her attorneys. And we kind of started over the whole thing with a whole other set of attorneys. And what I learned from that is if I hadn't been standing there, the judge couldn't have said that because all parties have to be there so get out of the courthouse as quick as
0: you can it sounds Dr. Chasinga like your divorce was a nightmare in terms of the fact that you had to get divorced and that was incredibly disappointing and probably heartbreaking for you at the time that's bad enough but it sounds like the process of getting divorced was really really difficult
1: yeah, it was really difficult. And some of the other things I came up realized is that my, I had five different attorneys as my wife did. And I realized that the attorneys would really kind of gin my wife up and get her going. And so, and, and mine would too. And so, like, I was doing emergency motions to see my kids. So my wife would say, you can't see him on Father's Day weekend just to kind of be, you know, hurtful. And I realized that you really, this sounds crazy, but you really should get a lawyer for yourself and then get a divorce attorney and they should be from separate firms. So the lawyer for yourself is the one that says to your divorce lawyer, he says, we're not going to do that. We can't win that. You're just spending my client's money and that'll cost you overall less than letting your divorce attorney run wild with some of the ideas they come up with. I also think that you should ask for a, a, a trial date as soon as you can. I mean, I paid for probably six four way meetings. And I would look at my wife. She wanted 15000 I offered her 14333 at one of the meetings. And she looked at me and she said, you must think I'm an idiot. And I thought, wow, this is, it's like, I can't deal with this person at all. Because, I mean, it's almost the same amount of money. She would have got it. And instead we just had, you know, I realized that I was the only one paying for everything at this point and she didn't care. And the longer the divorce went on, the better it was for her. Because there was no decree in place, she was getting half of my income, and so it, it just gets added on to when the divorce finally finishes. So the longer she can keep it going, the better it is for her, because her clock doesn't start till the divorce is over, and I'm paying the whole time.
0: I'm Katherine Miller, you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30 and also available as a podcast wherever you get your podcast as well as on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. I'm talking to Dr. Frederick Tsenga about his divorce and his book, I Do Until I Don't A Surgeon's Story of Divorce and Healing. So Dr. Tisenga, where where is the healing? What happened that allowed you to begin healing and putting your life back together?
1: Well, I think that one of the things that happens when you're getting divorced is as a guy, you think, and as a guy that makes pretty much money, you think, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm the one working. I'm getting up at three and four in the morning and operating all day. And my wife is staying at home, taking all the money, telling my kids how much, how bad of a person I am living in my big house. That's where you find yourself. And there's some decisions to make at that point. You can either give up and start mowing lawns or something, And become like this odd middle-aged guy that is getting chased around by the judge to, you know, pay money based on what you used to make. Or you can pour yourself into your career and try to wall it off the best you can, kind of compartmentalize your life from it. And that's where if you hire your own attorney to represent you kind of to your divorce lawyer, you can just say, look, you take care of this. I'm just going to work. And I think that, you know, becoming a, a very, you know, big success is much better than letting it kind of just crush you into the ground. And so what happened for me is is that's exactly what I did. And, you know, it also gives you more time because you're not seeing your kids. And that's another thing. Don't get too upset about that. Your kids won't forget who you are. You know, when this all the dust settles, they'll still know you're there and that you love them. So I just kept working, working, working. And eventually I met a very nice girl that was an ICU nurse that was from a, a very different background from my wife. A very, um, She's Indian, South Indian, very devout Christian, very solid principles and morals, and divorce doesn't even come into anything that she would ever even consider. And I got a big prenup, and she was happy to sign it. And it was very weird to interact with this girl because she had to have her own lawyer for the prenup, and when she went to her lawyer, the lawyer looked at the prenup and said, I can't advise you to sign this. You need to ask for a car worth at least $75,000 every three years, and you need to ask for you know, this much every month to spend on whatever you want. And, and she looked at the attorney and she said, I'm trying to marry this guy. I'm not trying to divorce this guy. I'm going to sign it. So what I always tell people is, you know, prenups aren't for proving that you want to screw your wife if you ever get divorced. It's for proving that your wife is marrying you because she loves you not what she can get from you
0: yeah i think that's kind of an interesting thing and i think it also prenups give you an opportunity to discuss what your expectations are about money and children and working and all that during the marriage they're not often people don't often take the opportunity to do that but what would support the marriage i think this is the opportunity to talk about it and the opportunity to discuss your expectations, not to mention your conflict styles, and people talk so much less about how they're going to manage money during the marriage than they do about the flowers or the colors of the napkins at the wedding reception. I think that we really could possibly pick up some marriage strengthening in the prenup conversation. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I, I think it for sure does. I think that you it allows you to talk more about your expectations, you know, and along that line. I think it's really helpful for women to stay working while they're married. I think they get a lot of fulfillment out of their jobs, even if it's a part-time thing. It gives them less time to kind of be around at home, you know, catastrophizing about what's going on in the marriage because they've got other things that they're working on, too. So I think there's value in, in working. I think there's value in talking about things before you get married, and I think there's value in talking about what would happen if you ever did get divorced because what I realized with my wife is that if you don't have a prenup she can kind of fall in love with the trainer at the gym who's actually much more interesting you know a new a new conquest is much more interesting than an old marriage and if she's realizing that hey I can take all my husband's money stay in this big house and kind of in a way take the party with me and get this new fun guy why not you know, it's a risk, but I'd like to take that option away. And so that option is not on the table with the marriage I'm currently in. You know, the party stays with me if you decide to leave.
0: Yeah. So we don't have that much time left, but I know you probably have some tips for people in choosing a divorce lawyer. And I heard you say, you know, have two lawyers, but you could work with a coach in order to protect you from your lawyer also. But I think what you're saying is create a, somebody else to advocate on your behalf so you can focus on living your life. But what else do you think, uh, Dr. Tasanga, that people should think about when they're choosing a divorce lawyer? So I think the divorce
1: lawyer is probably the most important person you're going to pick. I think you need someone that is a tactician, someone that's ruthless, someone that won't pick fights. But if they have to have a fight, they will prepare for it and they will go in and they will argue on your behalf. My lawyers that I had always were kind of smooth-talking gentlemen, and they all knew the judge, you know, and that sort of thing, and they didn't want to, like, make waves, and so they'd bring up something, that the judge said, I don't think so, they'd say, okay, judge, and then they'd say, judge said, I don't think so, and my wife always had lawyers that were from, like, a different part of town, and they would argue, they'd say, judge, but we think this, and we think because of this case law, and we want to have, you know, a hearing on it, and the judge would be like, okay, I guess we'll be hearing next week. And they would usually win. And the judge would say things to them like, you know, if you keep arguing so well, you're going to make partner in your firm. So I was stuck with guys that, again, I don't advocate having someone that picks fights. But, you know, I've been involved with a lot of medical malpractice lawyers. And they seem to be much more interested in, like, meeting with you, planning, strategizing. And divorce lawyers that I met seem much more interested in the day you get there for court. Oh, yeah, what was your name again? Oh, yeah, what are we talking about today? And then they'd walk in throw up in front of the judge and
0: walk out. Like, much less overall interest. So making sure you pick someone who's going to be prepared and focus on you and your situation rather than maybe the relationship with the judge or each other.
1: Yeah, I think that having someone that, again, if there's a fight that needs to be had and someone that will tell you, like, this fight is a fight we can have, but it's not a fight we can win, like trying to get sole custody of your kids or something. You know, unless there's a very strange thing going on, there's almost no way that's going to happen, that a guy would get, you know, sole custody from a girl. It's just, it's, it's rare as rocking horse manure.
0: <laughs> Dr. Fred to think it's a pleasure to have you on Divorce Dialogue. Thanks for being our guest.